0: Okay, welcome to episode number five of the Make It Count podcast. So fairly sure
1: it's five and not six, but who knows at this point. So many we've lost track already. <laughs> <laughs> Got to make it count by counting the episodes. So you saw last time
0: we did a slightly shorter one, and this time we did a slightly different one. Today we're looking at a person their story, and how it relates to making it count.
1: Yeah, because we've had conversations, some of our own stories, but we thought there's loads of people out there that we admire and respect, done some really good thinking, may
0: have lives that
1: they made count, and we maybe want to introduce you to them.
0: Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about Viktor Frankl. Some of you may have heard of him. David's read a book by him recently, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, and I'm actually just going to ask David a few questions. Uh, how the
1: tables have turned, eh? I'm normally the one asking all the questions. How the turns have tabled. <laughs> so, David, are you ready? Go on. I feel like I'm not the expert on Viktor Frankl,
0: but, you know, I've,
1: I've got some For stories. our purposes,
0: a short podcast. I think you'll be just fine. Yeah, I think I've got enough. So, David, can you tell us a little bit about who Viktor Frankl was? Well,
1: most of you may have heard of him he's written this book man's search for meaning which has sold like 12 million copies or something wow. that's what he says on the cover anyway so i feel like they've probably researched it but my understanding is it's one of the most read books of the 20th century mm. and there's a reason for that he okay well let me ask you this question if you were in austria around the time of world war ii and you had an opportunity, you had an American visa waiting for you to leave the country, mm. what would you say to the person that decided not to accept that American visa?
0: Why on earth did you not take that opportunity?
1: Yeah, and this guy didn't. So this guy, he's Victor Frankl, as we talked about, I think, and he had a, a visa to go to the U.S., all he had to do, he had an inv- invitation to immigration. Yep. All he had to do was go along wow. and collect it. He'd got these re- ideas that he was researching. It's his brainchild, the thing that he loved to study. He was going to go and have an opportunity, safe in the U.S., to study that. And he said, well, he ended up not taking it. But he, on this moment, the way he talks about it, said, like, I just didn't know whether I should or I shouldn't. My parents couldn't come. And he was a bit back and forward on it. And his parents were so happy for him. They were like, you should go, amazing. You should definitely yep. take this opportunity. The one time, he was really back and forward. He was undecided. You know, there's those moments where you're like, I'd love to, but also I don't know if I should, but also, it, you know, sometimes a you can't of unravel those things. It's a conflict there. A, totally. And he comes home one day, and there's a bit of marble on the table. And he goes, asked his dad, said, what's this marble doing on the table? said there were nationalist socialists that had burned down the synagogue. And this was a bit of marble from the tablets that had the Ten Commandments scrawled upon them. And he goes, which one of the Ten Commandments is this? And his dad says, Honour your father and your mother, and you'll live was it you will see long days
0: in the land, land. land you yeah. live yeah long days in the, in
1: land. the land he said it's in that moment he decided that he would stay with his parents Wow, and the repercussions of that <laughs> were years in Nazi concentration camps, and uh, you know even his his words were you know maybe extermination camps in some ways, and mm. he was in Auschwitz and all these other places and in the midst of that, his ideas about human flourishing, human thinking, meaning as, as compared to uh, pleasure, just came alive. He, been, he survived, saw long days, wrote loads of books. This one he wanted to write anonymously, and it was his most famous one, and he was convinced out of writing anonymously. Wow. So it's a little brief overview. Lecturer,
0: researcher, survivor. So he's obviously made this incredibly tough decision to stay, to not take that ticket out. Could you tell us a little bit more about what maybe happened in those years afterwards, those concentration camps that defined what he then went on to discover is important for making it count?
1: Mm. He already had some ideas in in what his area of study was called logotherapy. It's his term that he's defined, and and it's kind of like meaning therapy. Okay. So he already had some ideas going in, but actually, then he experienced it. And obviously, if you want to understand the first part of Man's Search for Meaning, and by that I mean like probably two thirds of it, are some of those experiences, and he's able to gently tease out some things. But he talked about the importance of hope, and you have to realise that it felt like a hopeless place, you know, even from the moment you walk in to the camp, left or right, fairly arbitrary. One way was death, the other way was basically forced labour. And and yet, at the twiddle of a guard's finger, that could be death. And that's a crazy place to be, totally out of your control. And you're malnourished all the time. You're feeding off scraps. There's a, it is, is you've heard the stories. The thing that speaks to hope. And I remember him talking about this moment. He said, "You would, you would know when somebody was going to die, because they would see it, smoke their last cigarette. Because they, they, you were saving that last cigarette." That that meant you were willing to live another day. Wow. But as soon as they smoked their last cigarette, they were going to die. And that was the way he said it. They'd given up hope, so they were going to die. He talked about this other guy who was like, we're going to get liberated in our camp. We're definitely going to get liberated by this date. Mm. So that time, he was full of hope. But that time came and went, and there was no liberation by that date. Wow. And the guy died. Victor Frankel said he died the moment he told me the date that we were going to be liberated by, because he pinned his hope on that date. And it's really interesting those ideas of like where that hope can keep you going in in tough places. Mm. I don't know if that's quite the question you asked, and these are just sort of, sort
0: of scattered stories that I remember. I think that's really powerful, though, that he chose a by staying he chose a hard path and i think he was probably in no illusions about that Um, and you're saying as people enter the camp at the whim of a guard they either die that day or they get to live on for another day but there were other people who had gone to the let's say the right hand side they're in the camp forced labor but actually in a sense they chose the day that they died because that was the day that they gave up hope. Mm. Um, that's really powerful.
1: Mm.
0: That's quite stark as well. What else did he have to say that maybe can help us to find what is it that we can keep our hope in? Or um, where where do we put our hope?
1: Mm. I mean, one of the things that was really interesting, he said, in his entire time there, and I think there were several years, that there were only two suicides. I say only two. Two is in some ways too many. But he talked about one guy, and how he was able to help reframe the idea of suicide for him. And that, that, instead of asking, what has life got left for me? And it would be easy to ask that question in that situation. You've been imprisoned in these concentration camps for how many years? You're separated from your family. Your family may be dead. You've had your your life turned up. You've got no belongings, mm. you, everything. What is there left for me? And he said, let's invert that question and go, what is life asking of me? And for this guy, mm. this one guy, He'd written some books, and he was the only one that could complete them. You know, some important books, and I remember exactly what he said. His son had escaped uh, out of, um, it, well, basically he escaped, he was safe. But it's like, actually, what is life asking of you? Because this is a, something only you can do. And you already know, just in the way you frame that question, if you can realise that there's something... Matt, that only you can do, mm. huh. you've got hope. There, wow. You recognize that there's a responsibility on you, but also there's a bit of a hope. It's, it's something, I'm I'm special. I recognize there's something uh, life is asking of me. And so to invert that question of like, what is there for life? What point is there in life here? Right? You know, instead going, what is life asking of me? Maybe sometimes it is just to endure the suffering so that And for him, he talked about in those situations, the hope he had was... And he thought about this, he goes, I was in these dark places, and yeah, I painted this picture in my mind of one day I'd be in a warm lecture theatre, and I'd be teaching people about the things I learned during this time. Hmm. He did that in the midst of that moment. He created this picture of a hope that, hey, I'm going to be able to do this. Hmm. And yeah, so there's that hope. It's inverting the question sometimes that there's a there's an enduring, but also sometimes life is asking a question of you and how are you going to respond?
0: That's so interesting. That's very counter our natural tendencies to go, what's in it for me? Mm. What can I get out of this? It's what's actually asked of me. What do I need to give in this or what can I give in this situation? Mm. And I love that you... I love that he made that image in his his mind. Probably at the time it felt like a fantasy, an unattainable fantasy. But in a very real sense, he was visualising this is what life could be like. Maybe this is what it will be like. But if he had never visualised that, maybe he never would have got to that place because he gives up hope like the other guy that smokes his last cigarette. And then gives up the next day.
1: And that's interesting because a lot of people, and I think Tolkien talked about this, J.R. Tolkien of Lord of the Rings, but he talked about this uh, criticism of like, why are they fantasizing? Are they escaping? Is it escapism? And that's bad. And it's like, actually, it's not always bad. Like mm-hmm. that idea of imagining something, of dreaming of something better, of imagining being somewhere with loved people in a more comfortable or safe or hopeful or loving place, that's not always bad. Mm. And I think there's a no, you've got to face the reality. Yeah, sometimes that is true. But sometimes you've got to kindle that hope by dreaming.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing I would say to the person that says, get your head out of the clouds, you've got to be realistic or even fantasizing of any kind dreaming is just escaping from reality i would say we all do it all the time but often actually we do it with worry and anxiety and fear you know they say fear and hope are very similar just one is looking at a positive hopeful uh, outcome and one is looking at a negative fearful outcome Mm. neither of which have come about yet Mm. both are ruminations on the future Um, and a message that I heard recently basically said what we behold we become like Hmm. so if I'm beholding a picture in my mind and holding on to it there is hope something can something good can come I may move towards that and not in some strange um, power to the universe way but but in a it changes the way that I actually live. It changes the way that I actually respond.
1: Mm. So, one of the things that's interesting, I think you, you, we talk about dreaming a little bit. I mean, Donald Miller, he said, he's, he estimates or found some research that suggested people were daydreaming 30% of the time, which is crazy. Wow. But also, I bring him up partly because. One of the reasons I came across Viktor Frankl was there were so many people that I was listening to and I respect that they were like, by the way, I've read this book and this was really significant. And by the way, this book was really significant. Whether and Donald Miller is one of those guys, Maxwell is another, and there's a few others that talk about this book, his writings, his life being quite an inspiration for hey, you know, because. Let's be honest. We're all on that search for meaning. Mm. Freud said we're on a quest for pleasure. Frankl said no, we're on a quest for meaning. If we don't have meaning, we'll distract ourselves with pleasure. Wow! And I think that's really interesting. So if we if we feel like we're living meaningless lives, our lives don't matter for whatever reason. We're distracted with pleasure. Well, look around for a moment. You know, hours upon hours a day on Netflix, on Twitter, on Instagram, on social media probably people feel like they're living meaningless lives. And I think that's a really interesting thing. But Donald Miller sums up what well, Viktor Frankl has to say with three bullet points. said, we have to be a part of something meaningful, and i.e. bigger than self and for others. Interesting. So that's number one. Number two, have a redemptive view of suffering. That actually... I don't even want to say more than that, but it's just this redemptive view of suffering It's so countercultural. Oh, I'm suffering, I'm a victim, but actually, maybe there's a good thing from this, or hey, there's something good that could come from this. Mm. And that's what Viktor Frankl talked about in some ways. No, it's, it's like visualising,
0: yeah. I'm going to be able to teach others the lessons I've learned through this.
1: Yeah, and sometimes that is just a surviving for a time. And then the third part is... With a community of people that love you or have a community of people that love you. Wow. And you know those three things as a part of living a meaningful life is community and connection. It's something bigger than yourself and it's, it's being able to endure suffering sometimes. We don't like suffering. Everything around us is about comfort and convenience and ease. But actually, sometimes... The suffering can play a really significant part in making life meaningful. And they're interrelated, I think. I mean, you, I think if, when I think of people that live meaningfully, you don't usually think of someone that has not endured suffering.
0: Mm. The people that I know that have suffered the most are often those who haven't, they have a sense of depth Mm. to them. They're, they're not, Shallow in any sense of the word. Um, And it's that thing of, I don't envy them the suffering, but I do also go, I would love to have that depth of character. And perhaps we're like the person that goes, I'd love to be patient. I want it today. (laughs) Yeah. So we're coming maybe to the end of the podcast in a few minutes. How can we connect a little bit maybe be a little more tangibly some of the things that we've been talking about, having that bigger purpose, a redemptive view of suffering, having a community, and some of the other things we touched on earlier. How can we connect that with how we want to make it count?
1: Mm. One of the things we didn't quite talk about so far, but I think is significant, is in the midst of it, Ah, there's two lines. One, I think it's a Nietzsche quote actually, but it's like, a man who has a strong why can endure almost any how. And it's like, oh, what is your strong why? And if it includes other people, so much the better. You know, I'm, I coach people and I want to help people get to a place of, <laughs> well, I want to help people. That's my why. I want to help people move forward in whatever way they are. People are stuck, they're struggling, they're uncertain. I want to help you and coaching is the best tool to do that It's a strong why that's meaningful at the moment it doesn't pay as much as i'd want it to <laughs> and and that's kind of the point isn't it that actually maybe it will in the future but i do it because it's meaningful and it helps other people you know whether you're a doctor or a teacher or whatever like the, there's something in us that goes there's something more important yep. than money here and so figuring that out what does being a part of something bigger than you that's a really important question because mm. actually that helps you have a redemptive view of suffering if you have that strong why when you're suffering when you're struggling the how the struggle in the midst of it you can come back and then the other part of it is choice you know the he i think it was a prison guard said to him when he's walking in is that your stuff is that all you have and he's like yeah this is everything Took it away, threw it away, said, now you have nothing. And he thought, no. They can't take everything from me. You still have your choice. You still have your inner world. Everything you've ever experienced cannot be taken away from you. And, uh, and there's, there are things deep inside us that we can hold on to. That even in the most crushing environments, you still have a choice on how you're going to respond how you're going to think, how you're going to dream. And I, I think there's a hope in that. And I would just, yeah, he he made it count. He lived through some of the worst stuff that we would hope nobody ever would live through again. And sadly, there probably are people living through that today. Yeah. And, and yet he didn't give up hope. And I think the fact that this has sold so many copies, it's so well read as a book, I think it speaks to that desire for us to step out of this existential vacuum and into meaning and living a life that matters. Because we want to make it count. That's why we're talking about him. And by we, I mean
0: me. I've just basically been talking for however long we were going. It's been a great episode. (laughs) Thank you so much, David, for introducing us to Viktor Frankl, some of his ideas, his life story, and how that can make us get closer to making it count. I think... In a word or in a sentence, what would you like people to go away and think about or actually go and do on the back of this episode?
1: And I'll ask the question to you in a minute because you've done a lot of listening and maybe there's something significant. But what my maybe challenge to people who listen to this would be is to chase meaning, not pleasure. Wow.
0: That's a great, great summary. I would say find a group of people who you can chase meaning with.
1: Hmm.
0: Oh, I like that. You went further than I did. Good. <laughs> and that's how we do it. We make it count together. And
1: as, as we wrap up, this has been a slightly different form of podcast. So we've talked about somebody. We've talked about a bit of a resource as well. And we, I think we've enjoyed it. Absolutely. Uh, but maybe tell us how you found it. And We'd love to hear your feedback. And, and if you have any recommendations of people you think, hey they made a count.
0: Absolutely, about them. We want to hear your recommendations for who we should be engaging with, who we should be talking about. One last thing, yeah, pick up his book if you're interested. Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. He also wrote a bunch of other stuff.
1: Yeah, but this one is the most famous one. Yeah, so start there. So we know that life is busy, overwhelming, fear everywhere yet we're on this journey ourselves and we invite you on this journey to live more purposefully to live more meaningfully to live in a way that is more fulfilling we in a word three words want to make it count yeah we want to make it count